Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Oteil Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out MagicalMysteryCamp.com slash HelpingFriendly to learn more. Hey everybody, this is the Helping Friendly Podcast. This is episode 97. RJ and Brad couldn't make it, so it's just me, Jonathan, here to talk to you about Mexico. And of course, we have our special guest. Arthur, who was down in Mexico. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jonathan. Well, we're glad to have you here. Um, you went to the Mexico thing last year, did you not? I did, and it was fantastic experience, enough so that I wanted to go back this year. And did round two hold up? Would you do it again? I would do it again. Me and my friends that I went with this year, Brian and Brittany, were already planning for the next year, if it happens. Well, it certainly is something you got to plan ahead for. Yeah, for sure. Seems like they got this whole thing wired pretty well, uh, right down to meeting you at the airport and um, drinks in the van on the way over or whatever. Yeah, so you get off the plane and you go through the normal customs and immigration lines. And then 
as soon as you're through and you walk outside, there's people holding giant signs for Fish Riviera Maya. It's real easy. That airport actually has a bar outside, so as soon as you walk out, you can buy a cocktail and bring it right on the bus with you. Nice. Um, they really make it easy for you to start partying as soon as you land in Cancun. So the whole thing's uh, distributed amongst a couple different hotels. Did you stay at the Riviera Mayo Hotel this time? Yeah. Um, last year we stayed at the Barcelo Maya, pa- or the Barcelo Maya, and we were at one end of the beach. And then this year, the Barcelo Maya has a sort of a separate hotel called the Palace. It's all kind of the same hotel, though. And so cool. this year, we were at the Palace. So, yeah, every year at the Barcelo, right on site. Nice. So if we're going to talk about the music, uh, we should start with the sound check. Did you get a chance to listen to that? Yeah, I did. I was on the beach for the whole thing, so I could actually see the band on the stage here at Clear as Day. Very cool. I listened to a uh, Periscope, I think sounded like they were down a hall somewhere, but there was a bit of a substantive jam in there that I quite liked. What'd you think? Yeah, they really like, I mean, it sort of reminded me of the Magnaball sound check jam, which I also was lucky enough to be present for, where they just sort of come out and all of a sudden it's danceable, it's groovy, they're playing around with a lot of their effects. It was sort of like, why don't they just do this all the time if they can turn it on whenever they want? Um, and the fact that they kind of went into a few songs, too, and performed Sugar, Sa- Sugar Shack, My Soul. Um, yeah, all in all, I felt like I didn't really look at the timings, but it seemed like we got about close to a half hour of fish on Thursday. Yeah, it's good 30-some minutes, mostly jamming. It's great, great music. Good way to start off a weekend. You were, you were able to see it, but you couldn't get close. Is that right? Yeah, they barricade sort of everyone at the beach where, like, the entrance is. And on top of being on the beach, there's a lot of wind coming back and forth. Um, Last year, we ended up in the closest building to the stage. And up on our balcony, we could hear the show clear as day without any of that wind coming off the water. And it was, like, shockingly loud. It was like having a hotel in a concert. Well, I can imagine that probably did not suck. No, not at all. Uh, I know that this year there were friends that were able to run back to their hotel room during set break and nice. grab beers, use their own bathrooms, whatever they wanted. That's a pretty swell upgrade. Yeah. I mean, especially over a festival. <laughs> well, uh, hopefully a good recording of that sound check was surface. But in the meantime, let's talk about this uh, Friday show. you got a full fish show there. So that day, uh, you know, I always give fish, you know a little bit of slack on the first night they're getting into the groove they're feeling the crowd and i thought opening with free was a great choice um my big highlights from that first set that night were the free um they sort of took it out there a little bit i think the timing on it was about eight and a half minutes maybe a little longer uh the theme into funky bitch i thought was really well played the Undermined, The Wolfman's closing the first set, I thought was fantastic. Yeah, The Wolfman's, uh, they really got at it there, didn't they? Yeah, it really took off, and the band, it was sort of at Wolfman's where I think the crowd sort of settled in, I think Fish kind of settled in, and, you know, everyone could just tell it was about to be a good weekend. So then they go on to the second set. I thought that, uh, so Trey has, I guess, some new equipment um, on this run, which I guess he also had at MSG. Um, He got rid of the Marshall amp heads from the fall, and he has two Comet amp heads. 
And he also got some new pedals. He got rid of his tube screamers and replaced them with TS-808s. And he also got a Klon Centaur pedal, one of the old retro distortion pedals. And so I feel like when he was using those, combined with his Wah and the Mutron, which seemed like he kept extra dirty set, yeah. he just had this dark tone that really came out in a song I heard the ocean sing. It was like, it reminds me of like if some monster was going to crawl out of the ocean and destroy <laughs> everyone. Like, that's the sound it would make. Nice. <laughs> yeah, it seems like he was working that at MSG, and it really comes out to play in Mexico. Yeah, and he kept doing it a lot through the weekend in various parts. I found, uh, Sunday night during the stealing time, he had a lot of that, what I would call the monster tone happening as well. Um, so yeah, so the set sort of progressed, solid wedge, then Fuego hits, and you know, sometimes Fuego can be hit or miss. Sometimes it really goes off, sometimes it stays in its box, and that's fine too. But so this one, you know, it starts going off, and around like the 13-minute mark, it really... I would say that's when, like, the peak started, and it lasted for about four minutes. Trey sort of kicked in some of that monster tone, and by the 15-minute point, it was just, you know, yeah. I was standing in the water, my knees got weak, and that's when <laughs> I knew, all right, Fish is here to rage this weekend, and they're right where they should be. Nice. And I found that the rest of the set sort of went along with that. Each song after that, Caspian, Twist, Seven Below... Uh, I don't remember who it was. Someone coined the term mini jams. Like every one of those songs had its own mini jam that followed it that went kind of type two. Yeah, here on the podcast, we call that hashtag micro jams. Okay. It's pretty much the same thing. So yeah, so all those songs from Fuego, Caspian, Twist, Seven Below, it was micro jams out of everyone, good flow coming out, and then Golgi Antelope to close the set, which, you know, not... You're never going to go wrong with that. Right. That Golgi feels like it's going to be the end, and then you got a raging antelope to boot. Yeah, and then uh, the encore that night was uh, Contact and Bug. Again, another encore that you can't really complain about that. No, I mean, Contact's a great song, although I guess not many people drove to the show. Mm -hmm. And um, Bug's beautiful. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So uh, what do you say we play everybody a little something from this show before we move on? Maybe the Fuego Jam? Yeah, for sure. All right, we're going to queue up a little bit of that right now, and then when we come back, we'll talk about Saturday. Enjoy.
So Friday night was a good time. Uh, I guess you probably went back to your hotel room after that and tucked yourself in and got a good night's sleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so my Friday night experience was actually pretty good. I kept it kind of mellow Friday because I knew it was going to be a big weekend. And it's like, it's challenging because everywhere you go, people are handing you alcohol nonstop, whether you're near a pool. If you're on the rail, this waiter's bringing you alcohol in the front row nice. nonstop through the show. Wow. So it's like, so I wanted to pace myself a little that night, went out, we had some drinks, and I would say I got to bed at a reasonable time for an all-inclusive fish resort. That I, I can't quite say the same for the rest of the weekend, but Friday night, I wanted to wake up and feel fresh, um, you know, eat a good breakfast, try to work out, get some beach time in, just try to take advantage of the fact that we're in Mexico enjoying a resort. Um, there were cenotes across the street. Um, which are the sinkholes that you can go swimming in full of fresh water. Nice. Um, so we walked to some of those. I believe it was um, Friday during the day. It was Tor Tweet, Scott Reese, his birthday. Happy birthday. So we rented a car. We drove down to Tulum and just spent a day exploring the area on our own, which was a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah, so definitely a big part of Mexico is kind of just getting the tropical vacation with your friends and getting to do all this stuff that, probably wouldn't normally happen outside of a outside of fish being the motivation for it. Well, you know, with a lot of cities you go to for fish, it's, it's very similar. You, you you kind of should take the opportunity if you're there to get out and see things that you wouldn't normally see. Yeah, I mean, uh, th- I stayed at the resort a lot more this year than I did last time, I felt like, but you know, you're in Mexico, it's like to just show up in Mexico and stay on one beach. There's nothing wrong with that, in my opinion. If that's what someone wants to do and paid the money to do, people should do their Mexico trip however they want. Of course. But I felt glad to go out and get a little bit of exploring. Last year, we went to Tulum and saw the pyramids. This year, got out, saw the cenotes. So, you know, it felt good getting out and at least doing a little bit of stuff every time, which I would want to do again as well. Yeah, I mean, I guess it becomes a little less important once you've been there, but it's still pretty spectacular, not something you see every day. Speaking of which, you got a uh, curtain with opener that night, which uh, I kind of quite enjoyed. And how did everybody receive it at the show? Yeah, I mean, the the curtain starts, everyone's rejoicing. Uh, For most of that first set, I was standing down in the water. Uh, A bunch of my friends that were all there excuse me, um, one of the people in their group, it was their 200th show, so everyone was celebrating. Right on. So yeah, I got the curtain with into ACDC bags. So the first 20-something minutes of music just, you know, got the party started. Sweet. Um, then the set sort of progressed through, um, I think, you know, Breath and Burning and Halfway to the Moon, Poor Heart. Um, I know, I understand that... A lot of those aren't everyone's favorite set list choices. Um, they aren't really ragers. I'm typically not a big fan of Halfway to the Moon, but it was one of those nights where I felt like everything they were playing was really well played. Cool. Like, by the end of Halfway to the Moon, I was dancing as hard as I was to anything else that night. And sometimes, even if it's not my favorite song, Fish can make me enjoy it, <laughs> no matter what preconceived <laughs> notions I have. Right. Well, I, I think all of us here at the podcast are big fans of Halfway to the Moon. And I thought that one had a little mustard on it. It was pretty good. I absolutely enjoyed that one. And, you know, this is uh, 
they're going to play some of these songs. At least they played them in the first set, right? Uh, yeah, again, it's like, you know, these are these are songs that Fish writes. These are songs that Trey wants to sing. That's why he wrote them and made them songs. <laughs> so it's like, we're going to get them sometimes. And not getting my favorite set list doesn't automatically make it a bad show. Right Now, if they don't play a set list I like, and there's a lot of flubs in those songs, then I might call it a bad show. But when everything's played well, I'm not going to complain, really. Well, that's a pretty healthy attitude, man. Yeah, it, it keeps me happy. <laughs> <laughs> and then they uh, they played a tube, which was not epic long, but the jam, it was, was kind of nice. It had that slightly timeless feeling where you lose track of how long it is during the jam. What do you think? It definitely just gave everyone the funky dance party that I think most people are looking for with tube. Yeah. And I timed it earlier when I was listening to it. Um, and as soon as they left the verses and got into the jam and before the ending bluesy part, they played that jam for about four and a half minutes. So everyone got almost five minutes of fun. I mean, there have been tubes in 3.0 that weren't even as long as that jam. So right. everyone got about five minutes to dance. Trey was using the Mutron a lot, so it had that extra sort of funky, Jerry sort of feel. Um <laughs> So yeah, there was the tube. Then there was, I think, waking up dead right around there. Um, I waking felt like up they, dead came before it. Yeah, right before it. I felt like they didn't really play a lot of the new Petrichor uh, tunes or big boat tunes. Um, I mean, breath and burning, of course. But we well, did manage to get a few of them. But it seems like you really only got them on uh, Saturday night. Yeah, for sure. Like, I, I guess I sort of assumed we were going to get all those tunes in Mexico, and we didn't. So. It was good getting Waking Up Dead. And I got to laugh, my buddy Brian, he calls that song Dick Wolf because the song sounds like it's the Law & Order theme music. And now whenever I hear it, I can only picture Lenny Briscoe busting criminals for murder. It's like it's kind of made the song better and worse for me in a way. So thanks, Brian. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> now I'm going to be hearing that, I think. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry. So the set ended with a Chalk Dust Torture with a bit of a jam. Maybe we should talk a little bit about that? Yeah, we should definitely talk about that Chalk Dust. That was like <laughs> a surprising way to end the set. I wasn't, you know, you never know if they're going to jam it, especially in a first set. And that song was almost 13 minutes long. Yeah, it was a nice jam. I know some people were getting a little hyperbolic, perhaps, and talking about Camden, Chalk Dusts, and other things like that. But... Really, it does get into a nice space and uh, goes for a little while. Yeah, I felt that Fishman, like, I don't know if I'd quite call the jam type two, because Fishman never really left that shock dust style drum beat, but the rest of the band did. And sort of like yeah. you said, it allowed that really free flowing, like, Fishman kept the beat, which kept everyone dancing, and then Fish just rained down a lot of that, you know. <laughs> Fish psychedelia, everyone's looking for. A lot of delay pedal, a lot of distortion, definitely a lot of Mutron. Felt like Saturday and Sunday he was using tons of the Mutron pedal, which I'll never complain about. Certainly not. So maybe we should go ahead and play a little bit of this chalk dust for everybody so they can get an idea of what we're talking about. And then after that, we'll come back and talk about set two.
All right. Well, that was pretty rad. So uh, set two then kicks off with Cross-Eyed and Painless. Yeah, so set two was like a weird set. I felt like weird in the sense of where Trey supposed... It was weird in the sense of where Trey placed certain songs, I thought. Cross-Eyed Blaze On seemed like a solid opener. And then Meat Stick into Winter Queen, which... Like one of those things where everyone's everything was played well, but just you could tell it was throwing off the crowd a little bit at the placement. But then the micro jams would be so good, everyone was stoked, and it didn't matter. Um, yeah, you know, I, I want to say here that I think I'd be remiss not to admit that, despite not being the biggest fan of Meat Stick, I thought this one was pretty good. Uh, it came in right in the middle of the second set, which maybe not where you'd choose to have it, but I, I thought the end of it was pretty nice. Absolutely. Sometimes the second set meat stick kind of stays within its box, and that doesn't always do it for a lot of people. And this one, it extended for about seven minutes. Again, it was sort of similar to that chalk dust I was talking about, where Fishman kind of kept the meat stick beat going, but that freed up the rest of the band to get real sort of ethereal. It got almost a reggae vibe at some points, more so than not, like almost like a Caribbean vibe. And Trey was using a lot of that new delay pedal with a lot of distortion on it, making, you know, that monster tone I was talking about. Yeah. So then Winter Queen came, and I think I can speak for RJ and Brad as well as myself in saying that we love Winter Winter Queen. It's a delicate, beautiful song. The end jam kind of seems like a cousin, perhaps, of Roger, or Roguet, if you pronounce it right, which I never have. Um... I, I loved it, and I thought this was a nice version. Yeah, I agree. It, you know, it's one of those. It's like a slow song that rages by the end of it. It's like right. Yeah, I mean the way that that song like builds to a peak and then explodes. It reminds me of like the old late second set Jerry tunes that he might play, like a Wharf Rat <laughs> or something like that. You know, a slow song, but by the end, there's nothing slow about the energy in the room. Right. So, so, yeah, so I had no problem with that placement. And then Mercury into Light, again, great to see Mercury appear, especially on the beach, dancing under the stars, you know, just like the whole nature universal vibe of that song, not to mention the Red Queen, which is a Mayan legend. So, I don't know, nice to see that one on the beach. Well, I, I didn't realize the Mayan legend thing. That's pretty cool. And then um, while you were waiting in the Caribbean... They closed the set with Waiting in a Velvet Sea. Some people seem to be a little unthrilled by that selection. How did you take it? Um, Like I said, I thought a lot of the set list placement in this set was unique, to be kind, strange. Maybe it's not everyone's cup of tea. It's like, you know, throwing Meat Stick Light and then Velvet Sea as the set closer, even with that huge, you know... It got a really good light jam at a really dark reggae Caribbean vibe. So, yeah, I don't really have any complaints about that. I've never, you know, for being a kind of a stat nerd, I like that I can now check that off. I've seen Velvet Sea close a second set. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's a nice song. And there's hundreds of people floating in the ocean as Kuroda's lighting it up. Like, Sweet. I don't know. I, I didn't have any complaints about it. I sort of expected a big tune to come after it, but that's the way it goes. And it could be argued that a big song came after it because Drowned and Rocky Top came after that. Yeah. So granted they were the encore, but that's still a few big tunes to close it out on a happy, upbeat vibe. 
and I think that was the first to drowned encore ever. Oh, see, I wasn't aware of that, but that makes sense. I, I, I had never heard of it as an encore before. So that's another unique stat you can put down. Yeah, so, you know, again, unique set list that night with everything being played well. I mean, as far as Saturday night fish shows go, that's like, you know, that's usually how you get them when they're their best. You get a Saturday night show where everything's played well and it's often not your perfect set list. Well, there's usually something in there to love. Speaking of which, think we should play people something from the second set? Yeah, I would definitely play, you know, a good chunk of the Meat Stick Jam and the uh, the Light Jam had a lot of really unique stuff going on, too. So I'd say both of those will provide a lot of good options for anyone listening at home. All right, well, we'll play some of that for you all right now, and we'll be back to talk about the next night. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
right, so we're back, and we are going to move on and talk about Third Night. Arthur, I, I'd have to say Third Night is pretty much where it's at, if you had to pick just one, right? I mean, based on my own personal preferences, which I guess all the, is what all this is, I would have to pick Night 3 would be my personal favorite show. Um, that pretty much had everything I'm looking for in a fish show. Old songs, some new songs, jams, bust-outs, and... At the end of night two, I was with a big crew of people dancing. You know, a lot of us met that night. And as I was giving somebody a hug, they said, what do you want to hear tomorrow? And I said, I don't care what they play. I just don't want a break. I said, give me one of those shows, but there's no break to rest. And that's essentially what they did. I guess you could argue that Roger is a slow song, but I watched most of that song from the Constellation Orion that (laughs) night. So that wasn't slow to me right. and nothing maybe you could consider a slower song, but I also consider it a bust out. So yeah. that, you know, that whole show provided exactly what I wanted. Yeah. Well, they, um, they come out and they open with boogie on reggae woman, which Trey kind of gaffles the lyrics and asks for help. And I don't know. I mean, some people would complain about that, but they, they sure did play the song pretty well after that, right? I mean, everyone makes mistakes. Trey makes mistakes. The whole crowd laughed. Trey laughed, and they moved on. It's like, I don't know, it's it's fun to see that these guys are like humans sometimes. Sometimes we can give them this, like, godlike status, mm-hmm. which sometimes they deserve, but they're just <laughs> dudes, like, playing songs. <laughs> right, but they're pretty good at it overall. Yeah, like, a flub, that just, you know, and oftentimes when there are flubs, they make up for it musically. It's like, oh, we flubbed some lyrics, and now we're going to jam extra hard to make up for it. So I'm not one that really complains about too many flubs. So then after Boogie On, they played Simple. And it was a nice simple. It seemed to be kind of going somewhere. Um, after you know, after the first part of the song, it, it started a little bit of a jam and started to go into kind of that uh, blissful, prototypical, simple jam which didn't last, though. It kind of took a turn right into Tweezer. Yeah, I looked at the timing on it, and Simple's only about six minutes long, which it felt longer at the time. Um, I wouldn't have guessed six minutes. And yeah, towards the end, Trey just started hinting at that sort of Tweezer, bluesy, descending A riff. Uh And I looked at some of the crew, and it's like, oh, this sounds like Tweezer. And then within the next 30 or so seconds, we were just in Tweezer. Which no one complained about. If you're going to cut a simple jam offshore, then do it for a 13-minute tweezer. Right. It's hard to complain about a first set 13-minute tweezer. Those usually, you know, while they're not the big 40-minute versions, they usually deliver in some way or another. And I, I feel like this one did. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as soon as the song ended, the jam just sort of took off. Trey's using a lot of that dirty tone. He's using a lot of the Mutron, which anytime you're throwing a Mutron in the tweezer again, I'm happy. Yes. And then, you know, as the jam builds, around that nine-minute mark is where all of a sudden that oh-so-familiar Slipknot riff came in. And you could feel, like, the ripple of excitement through the crowd because <laughs> it's like, oh, man, they're playing some dead. And even though, it, you know, it was just enough to, like, everyone around me turned and high-fived. Nice. And then, you know, the tweezer finally winds down into Roger, which at that point everyone needed because everyone had been dancing their butts off for the last 30 minutes. Um, yeah, Roger's not exactly a chill-down song. It's kind of deceptive, right? It, uh, 
Trey's playing this beautiful stuff over top, but if you if you just listen to Trey, you really miss out. You don't want to take your ears off the bass, in my experience. Yeah, definitely not. Um, sort of like people used to call Trey in the 90s, machine gun Trey. Oftentimes at the end of Roger recently, I've noticed machine gun Mike. He's doing this like rapid fire bass stuff that even though the song is like floating you around, Mike is like adding this stuff to it. And yeah, and as Trey, I don't know, I feel like Roger at this point, especially after the Dead 50 concerts last year in Chicago, Roger is like the closest that Trey gets to that Jerry territory on a regular basis now. Uh, like, the, you know, Bobby once had a quote about people ringing those lofty bells that Jerry used to ring. Well, I think Trey is hitting all those bells during Roger more yeah. than just about any other song that they play. Oh, definitely. He's doing some kind of gorgeous riffing through that. Maybe we can play everybody a little taste of the Roger then come back and we can continue talking about the rest of this set. Yeah, please. Okay, so here's a little bit of Roger for y'all. Nothing, which is a little bit of a bust out, don't you think? I believe last Nothing was in Merriweather 2015. And I think they did a kind of reggae version of it. Right. Yeah, I think it's only like the seventh time they've ever played it, too. Yeah, it's not one that comes out a lot. So like I said, the the one real song you could might maybe consider a slow song that night was a total bust out and still had an upbeat tempo. So then they went ahead and played a pretty pretty big ghost for you. Yeah, it's like 
<laughs> you know it's going to be a good first set when your ghost is longer than your tweezer in the first set. Right. Um, and this one, again, it just took that really dark tray tone, that monster tone. I don't know what else to call it. It's like a combo of the wah and the mutron and the distortion pedal and the gain on his delay pedal. Um, and it was cool because the way this tone hit, Page did something with the clavinet in this ghost where it was like they both had complementary monster tones. It just got dark. Like, if you like dark fish, this ghost is exactly what you want. It had Mutron. It had darkness from all the band members. And then it ended up peaking really bright and happy for the last five minutes and reminded me of the 123110 ghost, what people call the Holy Ghost from MSG. It just, like, it went through the darkest territory and just, like, brought us back into the light. And, I mean, I don't know, you, you can't ask for a better ghost than that, whether it's first or second set. Right, and then that lightness carries over into the next tune, which is, you you kind of had to expect Yamar, right? They're playing the Caribbean. It's uh, basically a given, don't you think? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, there was always that story that Mike heard it on some island in the Caribbean by some band, and that's how they started playing it. So, I mean, we're on a beach in the Caribbean. It, it was just fitting. It's got a reggae Caribbean vibe. Everyone likes the song. Like, you're not going to go wrong there. And then that drops down into that stealing time, which I mentioned earlier, which has a lot of great examples of this monster tray tone I'm talking about. Some nice snarling guitar in there. And then they... Uh shift gears they go into a pretty well played and i don't know considering they played curtain with the night before perhaps unexpected rift yep uh, always fun when you kind of get those two in the same weekend since a lot of it's based on the same piece of music right um i was actually i've actually been wondering if there was ever a curtain with into rift that was played because maybe that should happen someday yeah. um but yeah, we get the rift, everything, you know, it was all played really well. They didn't miss anything, which sometimes that can, I mean, that's a really difficult song to play. If they, you know, make a mistake in that, I don't blame them. But everything was played well from what I could hear. And then the casual drop into Fluffhead, which just like, Boom. I mean, the place just exploded, including all the security guards around us. All the security <laughs> and paramedics loved Fluffhead. How could they not, man? <laughs> so do you think that... Maybe after they did such a, a fine job with Rift, they looked to each other and telepathically or shouting across the symbols or whatever decided, hey, all right, let's do it. Let's play Fluffhead because you know, that's been kind of shy lately, right? You know, I'm not sure. It's like it seemed unexpected because that set felt like it went on for a while. Granted, you know, we got some big jams in that set, lots of unique bust outs, but I don't think anyone was expecting that. I don't know what anyone was expecting, but no one was expecting the Fluffhead set closer. Yeah. So, and when it started, it was just like, everyone felt so much love around. I looked around and everyone just started hugging and high-fiving. And the security guards, they didn't know what was going on, but they all thought it was funny. And like, you know, the song kind of starts out mellow too. So I don't think they realized what they were getting into or why everyone was excited as they were. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a pretty awesome way to end a set, of course. Um, so before we move on to set two, let's let's back up a little bit. Maybe we should play everybody a little bit of that tweezer, because, you know, pretty awesome. And, um, yeah, we'll play that and then come right back. 
Okay, and so before, let's move on to set two. I think in contrast to the unexpected nature of Fluffhead, there were many people who were definitely anticipating the Downward Disease opener. Uh, I'm, I'm okay with that, though. How about you? Anytime Disease opens a second set, you know you're going to dance for 15 minutes. It's like they, they always jam it. They don't put it in that slot and then not jam. So it's like they do that. It goes off for about 15 minutes. Um, I remember thinking like everyone was busting some of their best dance moves. I looked around and people <laughs> were just throwing down for an expected song like Down With Disease. So even though it's you know a likely bet that it's going to open a second set a lot, that doesn't bother anyone, it seems. Yeah, well, there's always somebody on Twitter or something. Yeah. But uh, then that went into kind of a quick version of No Men in No Man's Land. Don't you think that was sped up a bit? Yeah, it was a fast version, and it felt uh, it sort of felt like the band ended up in No Man's, and Trey was still in disease. Because when Trey really hits the opening chords to No Man's, it's a little jarring. Like I wouldn't quite use the term rip chord, but maybe just a little rushed all of a sudden. But like, yeah. But now I'm just nitpicking, and there's no point in really doing that. It, it was a solid 13-minute disease into eight minutes of No Man's, and everyone was dripping sweat and winded afterwards. Like so, Then they played Sneakin' Sally through the alley next. <laughs> that didn't really give you a break. No, and I, I actually had to talk myself into like, hey, take a deep breath and get back in the game here. Like You wanted a nonstop show. They're giving you a nonstop show take advantage of it. I had a great dance space with a ton of my friends, like with all the room we wanted. And sometimes you just have to power through because you, you don't always get a great dance space with all your friends. I mean, be careful what you wish for, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and then you know, it's, it's a weird set that the cool down song turns out to be a possum of all things. Yeah. It's like, and I don't even really know what to say about that because it was the shipwreck possum. Right. Yeah. You know, they start doing the intro, which I guess technically was at the end of No Man's, or I guess at the end of Sally, not technically Possum, but it went through the rest of the set. They start doing Shipwreck. Everything starts getting weird. Everyone knows they're building Possum. <laughs> possum hits, and it just, ex- I think they gave us that little cooldown between Sally and Possum while they're building Possum and to do Shipwreck. That was enough for everyone to catch their breath before they made us dance for another 45 minutes. So yeah, so the possum, I mean, it was a shredding possum, tons of shipwreck teases, and then that dropped down into Carini. Oh, it's nice to get something heavy there. And uh, and that one got uh, stayed pretty dark. Yeah, super dark Carini, with Trey using a lot of that distorted tone, a lot of the Mutron tone, and really well-placed shipwreck teases um, in between the little da-na-na-na, na-na-na-na, Paige would hit a sample, like... So Paige was really on top of the timing of the shipwreck teases during the Carini, which just made it so much more cool, in my opinion. Yeah, that was pretty great. Um, and that was followed by uh, somewhat rare these days, maybe, uh, David Bowie, which we hadn't seen for a little while at least. Yeah, uh, they hadn't played it since I think it was Dallas on the Fall Tour, which is always kind of weird when Bowie disappears for a while. And Bowie's one song that, you know, I could hear it every night. I'll always be happy about it. It's one of my favorite songs to dance to because it just rages so hard. Um, And this is one of my favorite versions of recent years. Sometimes, you know, they put in a good effort. It doesn't always get there. This one got there and more. Yeah, it did. Um, 
And I like that it stayed kind of dark. Some of the Bowies in recent years, Trey kind of takes into major bright and happy territory. And I want my Bowie dark psychedelic. Yeah, that's the uh, the major key peak jamming. But this one, this one didn't go there. I liked it. Yeah, it was exactly, it's the exact sort of Bowie I want. And I feel like it's the type of Bowie that they don't play as often anymore. So I was really happy to get that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I sort of figured the set was going to be over. And then Fishman hits the toms and we're into hood. Man, what a bummer, huh? Yeah, I know, right? Like, what a terrible thing. Here's another 15 <laughs> minutes of a set. It seemed like they played a little bit later on this night than the other nights. You know, they were done fairly close to 11 East Coast time previous nights. This one went a little longer? Yeah, it was a bit later. Um, we had a rain delay at the beginning of the show that night. Um, it started raining, and the first few nights they started around 7.45, and Sunday night they didn't start till a little bit after 8. So I think they were allowed a little bit leeway with being able to play later. Well, that's pretty nice. You don't get that at home. Yeah, nice for us, and thanks to the, thanks to the band. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, they delivered a pretty good hood, I would think. Uh, I like some of the jamming in it. Yeah, definitely. It had a lot of the classic hood peaks that people are looking for. It had some of that type two-ish jamminess that some of the hoods in recent years have had. I feel like starting around that Mansfield 2014 hood that really went type two. Mm-hmm. They've sort of had the type two-ish thing that goes on, so they did some of that. And then it just ended in a really natural peak. The hood seemed very natural to me. Like, not a lot of forced jamming, not really a forced peak to close it out. Just everything flowed at a natural pace with the band seemingly very locked in with each other. A nice hood closer is something that'll never get old, I think. Definitely. And then they encore with uh, Slave into Tweezer Reprise. And I thought it was was a pretty good Slave. What were you guys thinking down on the sand? Yeah, and so everyone's wondering, you know, will it be Yem? Will it be Reba? Will it be Slave? Will it be something else that they haven't played all weekend? People sort of assumed a reprise was coming, but, I mean... Oh, a Reba Encore would have been something. Yeah, I, I, I turned to some friends and I was like, please give me the Reba reprise Encore. <laughs> but, I, but if I get stuck with a Slave Encore, I'm not complaining at all. Right. But I, I was calling for a Reba reprise Encore. Didn't get it, but that's just fine because the slave peaked harder than some other recent ones I've heard. Yeah, it was nice. I think that what's neat is in addition to being able to summon that monster tone with the the new updated rig, I think Trey still very much able to get to uh, a nice buttery tone, the kind of thing that you want to hear in a slave. He definitely tapped right into that and really enjoyed the way this one developed right through the peaks. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it's some of the tone he was trying to get from doing Ziggy Stardust, like just some of that, like, like a thicker British sounding tone while still being clean and distinctly Trey that maybe the Fender amps weren't quite giving him. And yeah, I've been really happy with Trey's tone. It's like some of that dirtiness is just so on demand for him now that I felt like before he would have to mess with dials here and there and you know, screw with some stuff to get there. Now it's just boom. He hits a button and it's ready to go. Yeah, and uh, then he can. They punch right into a Tweezer Reprise, which is standard awesome closer. Send everybody back to the hotel to get a good night's sleep before travel or what have you. Um, 
I enjoyed listening to the run, watching some from home and listening to it from home. And um, I, I think a lot of other people did. Uh, maybe not everybody, but that's normal, right? Um, maybe, Arthur, we could talk about your ultimate takeaways. What do you, what do you think? It's your second time down there, and how do you think they did? Well, uh, my ultimate takeaway from Fish in Mexico is like, as an experience, it's just one of the best vacations and experiences I've ever had. It's like, not many people get to take tropical vacations. You rarely get to take them with a lot of your friends, let alone your favorite band playing on the beach at your hotel. You know, it's like, yeah, experientially, I think it's something that everyone should try to do once if you have the opportunity. I mean, I get that it's expensive, it's far. You could probably do a whole summer tour driving around in your car for cheaper. But it's like, it's good, and I wouldn't question going again. And I felt like this last year, too. As soon as I left, I said I would definitely do this again. And whether or not like the music is your favorite show or not your favorite show... It's like that's just sort of part of the overall awesome experience everyone is having that weekend. So I'll do Mexico every year they have it. I said that to a few friends this weekend. Dicks in Mexico are the shows that I will always go to because as an experience, as a location, it's just hard to beat it. It's a pretty ringing endorsement there. Yeah, you'll hear, people will hear no complaints from me, and I'll see you all on the beach at Mexico next year too. <laughs> well, you, you pretty much sold me. I'll have to see if I can find a way to get down there. Uh, next year, if the, if it happens. Uh, in the meantime, before we go, why don't we go ahead and give everybody a little taste of what happened in the second set? Uh, do you have any particular jams you'd like to suggest? Um, looking at this, I think the uh, the no man's whether the verses or the jam part is really solid, and it's kind of a unique version, even though it stayed kind of type one. I thought. The, the Carini with all the shipwreck teases you won't go wrong with. And if you just want to hear a Bowie peak proper, that Bowie is going to be one of the best to 3.0. All right. Well, uh, we'll go ahead and uh, say goodbye, I guess, and then we'll play a couple of those clips for everybody on the way out. And um, I want to thank everybody for listening, and I want to thank you for joining me. And RJ and Brad send their best. They were unable to join us tonight due to family things. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. Me too. This has been great. It's great to be back with you guys. What's up to RJ and Brad? Thanks for the podcast, and hope we all get to hang at a show together soon. Yeah, that would be nice. Uh, of course, we don't have any shows on the radar. I, I, I think we'll have shows to hang at. I'm not worried about that. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, once again, thank you, Arthur, for joining us. Take care. Yeah, you do the same. And uh, everybody, we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks. Thanks a lot. You can find us at hfpod on twitter and hfpod.com and we're on the facebook and a few of those other things so thanks a lot crashing surf and jagged rocks Crashing, 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 crashing
guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born, to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.